while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. south coast tonight i'm marcus farrow uh chris will be back tomorrow and tomorrow we'll have the ward three city council debate um at seven o'clock between carmen amaral and sean oliver they'll both be here we'll be here um chris will be here jack spillane from the new bedford light will be here but tonight i'm joined by another great reporter from new bedford light uh will senat will thanks for uh thanks for joining me and welcome back yeah thanks for having me back on marcus anytime so um you are you had a you had a like a, a a good succinct way of describing the area in which you report on, which is like the waterfront, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, the ocean industries of New Bedford, ocean uh, wind, industries. fishing, um, the fun stuff, you know. Yeah, uh, so the ocean industries of New Bedford. So, Will, you um, you've been you know you you had that bombshell report from the, that you did with uh, ProPublica um, back in the summer. Uh, you recently. Um, had a trip to D.C. Uh, where you um, uh, were talking, with, where the, you met and spoke with a coalition of uh, of fisher uh, of. Well, tell us about your trip to D.C. Sure. Um, so yeah, I trailed down this uh, kind of ragtag crew of fishermen from all over the country. Really, they were from um, Massachusetts, you know, Cape Cod. They're from uh, Louisiana, you know, fishing the Gulf. Um, they were from Alaska, you know, both commercial and. You know, native kind of subsistence fishermen, you know, uh, very different, you know, breeds of fishermen, but, um, you know, small scale through and through, you know, not big uh, corporate uh, fishing companies. And I followed them down to C- D.C. Um, they were speaking with different members of Congress, some senators about uh, issues that, you know, all across these fishermen from all across the country um, feel really urgent. And they wanted to bring them directly to Congress. Um, the issues you know, range for each port, but they all come back to this uh, regulatory shift uh, called catch shares, which, um, you know, it's a uh, subject in the fisheries that gets brought up quite a lot, but outside of the fishing industry, it's not too too well known. Explain uh, what a catch share is. Sure. So catch shares, it's um, kind of one of two uh, forms of regulation for the fishing industry. Um, you know, you go, uh, it was adopted for, you know, New England's ground fish in 2010, and uh, you know, just to explain the two different forms, um, pre, before catch shares, the way fishing was regulated is trips per, or sorry, amounts of fish a, a boat could catch per trip or per day at sea. Um, and what this did is it essentially turned the permits for the fishing industry into owning a percentage of what the government deems to be a total sustainable level of catch. So instead of being able to catch 800 pounds of cod per trip, your permit uh, would be equal to 1% or you know, a third of 1% of the total allowable catch of, of uh, a certain fishery. So what it really did, I mean, it, it sounds kind of benign when you put it that way, but what, what it really did and how fishermen present it, you know, those who own permits and those who don't, is um, it privatized, you know, access to an ocean resource, fish, mm-hmm. turn it into a, essentially an asset like real estate that can be bought or sold like uh, a stock on, on Wall Street. And so there were people with 
um, these permits that were allowed a certain amount of uh, catch shares, and they were essentially, from my understanding, selling them off. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been the, you know, like real estate, right? Just the gradual slog over time when you, um, you know, it's been compared to like a cap and trade for fish kind of. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when you have a, a finite resource, which is, you know, what the government deems to be a sustainable level of catch, let's say a million pounds, and, you know, 100 people own the rights to catch that million pounds, um, they can trade, they can lease, and, yeah, I mean, the people with capital over time build up more and more. And it's at a point now that, you know, fishermen um, are having trouble buying in. I mean, these these permits are they, – they gain value over time, much like real estate. It's a pretty good investment, honestly, if you're, you know, um, a speculative investor. Uh, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the result has been that it's really closed the door on a whole generation of, uh, of young fishermen who can't afford to buy into this generational industry. So we're speaking with Will Sanat, uh, the New Bedford Light. He covers the ocean industries in New Bedford to include the fishing industry. That's what we're talking about now. So there was a coalition that went down. Um, so what is the name of this coalition? What are they? What were they lobbying uh, for? Yeah, so they, they call themselves the, the Catch Shares Reform Coalition. I mean, it's not an official organization. It's um, pretty much just a bunch of fishermen who have banded together over time. Um, a few organizations that you know, are part of this, um, but yeah, the Catch Shares Reform Coalition, and uh, they weren't going down to D.C. to you know pound their fists and and overturn it all. They really wanted some substantial reforms to the fishing industry and the way it's regulated. Um, number one, they want um, you know transparency on ownership of fishing permits. They want to know who owns what fishing permits. I mean, we're at a point right now where um, private equity is getting involved in the fishing industry, buying mm-hmm. up bundles of fishing permits. Um, there's also environmental organizations. The Nature Conservancy, for one, owns a substantial amount of groundfish permits. Um, but access to those records of who owns what is very difficult. We've been able to sniff some out just from reporting. We have stories about it. But, um, yeah, for you know someone who isn't trained in journalism or investigative reporting, it's very difficult to get access to these things. Trust me, it's hard for me, too. So that's number one. It's um, sort of like um, a shell corporation type of thing. There's right. there's layers of it that you have to peel back if you're able to to find the true owner of, right. of the like parents. a Russian doll kind of. Yeah. You know? right. I mean, you, you can find the shell corporation, but you don't know what the parent company is or what the kind of corporate entity is because um, they're all different LLCs. You don't know what the who the partners are behind it. Oftentimes, um, and so yeah, transparency and ownership is one. Um, they also wanted the government to rein in the antitrust limit uh, for what ownership of the fishing industry can be. Um, so right now with groundfish, let's say, which is you know the collection of um, 16 species, you know, cod, haddock, pollock, um, right now uh, one single company can own 15.5% of the total amount of uh, quota. Okay. So that means seven companies can own the whole uh, New England fishery. And it's... it's um. Yeah, you know, when you look at other fisheries in different ports, it's it's much higher. I mean, in on you know, on the uh, the west coast, how Pacific, many companies can own the whole New England uh, fishing industry? You said. I mean, when you break it down to if there's you know, no company can own more than fifteen point five percent. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's about seven companies yeah. equals a bit over a hundred. So, yeah. um, that's not what it is right now. There's a lot more than that. Will seven. probably happen at some point. Right. Let's <laughs> <laughs> give it some time. You know, yeah, I'll be back exactly. in a few years. Yeah. Uh, but. You know, but you look at the Pacific, um, you know, the fisheries over there, I mean, their antitrust limit is 2%. Mm-hmm. That's what a company can own, and it's, you know, a pretty substantial amount for a company, 2% of, you know, the total fish and, you know. Um, and we look at cattle, I mean, the it's come under a lot of scrutiny because 
four companies own eighty uh, percent of the uh, you know cattle production, um, and uh, you know it's uh, on the trend to go towards that direction in the fishing industry. So they wanted um, that's the second thing to, for Congress to push. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, no fisheries to rein in that antitrust limit. Um, something that's more equitable or more um, creates kind of a more fair market for these fishermen to fish and also sell their fish and you know have an equal uh, kind of market power in this industry so it would be did they have a hard did they have like a hard number to reduce it from like 15 percent to water they just said something that's something that's better than like you said the possibility of seven industries basically having a stranglehold on all of this or seven companies yeah and that's funny they didn't have an exact number um probably would have been good too yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes you know, but the um, it's going to be difficult because there's quite a few companies that are built into owning a substantial amount. I mean, you look at um, Blue Harvest Fisheries here in New Bedford; it's a big company. They own uh, about 12 percent of the total ground fish quota uh, in average. That's you know, it's up to 20 percent of some species, but as low as two percent of others, um, and it averages out to about 12 percent. Um, you know, other companies own uh, you know some four uh, percent. The Nature Conservancy owns seven percent of mm-hmm. these fishing permits. You know, so. It's going to be quite a negotiation. It was kind of the same thing that um, in the past stopped the Fisheries Council, you know, which is the, one, the regulatory body in New England, from uh, establishing a lower antitrust limit early on it's because companies were grandfathered in to substantial holdings. Yeah. And you can't <laughs> – at least they didn't want to tell them to um, – they weren't going to seize people's fishing permits. I mean that would be um, probably its own uprising in a, in a way. So um, it'll – if it does have any movement, it'll probably have to be a negotiation of some sort. I imagine between the councils, a lot of whom, you know, um, have worked for some small fishing companies, at least know how it works, um, to kind of find a, 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 a balance of you know, how to weigh these interests. Speaking with uh, Will Senat, the New Bedford Light, uh, he's been reporting on the fishing industry um, and all ocean industries uh, in New Bedford. So, who were the members of Congress that they really talked to down there, um, I, you identified a few in your piece. Sure. I mean, um, you, you wish it would be Bill Keating, for one. Um, you know, he's our uh, congressman here. Um, he, he was not there. Uh, but uh, they spoke um, most notably, well, for one, uh, Mary Peltola. Um, she's the congresswoman in Alaska. She just, so, so Mary Peltola, just for people who don't know, a little bit of background. She got elected uh just this past fall um but she got elected also in like the special election so she took office in like september Uh, they have one congress member of congress in alaska because it's a uh, not a not as populous of a state she's a democrat and she beat sarah palin um Mm -hmm. to to uh to get to congress so just a little background on mary uh, pelotola yeah and she's the first um native woman to be elected into the state's uh congress which is uh, pretty substantial um and uh yeah you know, part to, of her to, campaign to, to, from Alaska because there's been other people from Alaska, know, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Deb Holland, I'm thinking, and all mm. that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, uh, in Alaska, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I didn't mean to throw you off with some petty <laughs> details. No, it's an important detail. <laughs> fact check me, Mark. No, I didn't fact check you. I wanted to clarify for the audience, just you know, on that really unimportant thing that we're wasting more time talking about. So, uh, uh, so. Um, and one of the things Mary Politola, because I, I follow her on Twitter, she's always talking yeah, about being uh, pro-fish. Yeah, pro-fish, but in kind of an interesting way because um, Alaska has some of the biggest fishing industry in, in the world. I mean, huge, mm-hmm. massive trawlers all up on the North Pacific, um, big money. I mean, 
it's where you know the uh, fish fillet for McDonald's comes from. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a big commodity industry for ground fish, and um, really dwarfs New Bedford in a lot of ways. Uh, but um, she campaigned on this uh, idea of yeah being pro fish, but also you know pro um, you know small fishermen, pro indigenous fishermen, you know, not just trawling, which is only one side of the fishing industry, and really campaigned on the idea of you know clawing back some of the ocean. Uh, from these trawling corporations, which have not always benefited um, you know, Native Alaskans up there. I mean, I spoke to some down in D.C. Um, they live inland, but on some um, major rivers that have salmon runs. And they spoke of their villages. You know, just recently, um, you know, trawler bycatch for salmon has been really devastating um, the salmon populations. Like, so salmon, uh, these trawlers, they don't have the rights to catch salmon, um, but they don't. They are not allowed to. They have a, a certain limit called bycatch where they can... Um, if it just happens to come if through If it happens to net. catch on the net. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So so can you explain to people what trawling is if, if they don't know? Sure. Um, it's a... I mean, it's pretty simple. It's a very large net and uh, it either, you know, floats midwater or drags on the bottom. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, the, the boats here uh, in New Bedford are... Um, very small compared to these uh, trawlers in the, in the North Pacific or even the North Atlantic Icelandic companies. Uh, um, you know, they're uh, massive. I mean, these nets for these major trawlers can stretch over a mile. They're yeah. huge and they suck up everything into them. Um, you know, dolphins, whales, orcas, um, and plenty of fish too. And it's a, uh, yeah, so the, um, this bycatch for is really uh, harming the um, indigenous folks inland because it, it, um, the bike, it stops the salmon run, you know, because they go upriver, right, mm-hmm. towards the, the populations. And when they get scooped up out at sea, they don't make it up to the, you know, communities that, um, sub, you know, eat them to survive throughout right. the year. And I uh, spoke to some down there who were, who were um, you know, really advocates of Peltola as a rational, not like a blind environmentalist, you know, not like a, this, you know, um, trying to shut it all down, but right you know make it more equitable for the folks in alaska yeah because there's a practical matter of you know there's a resource that's coming that's you know supposed to, that's typically available to these people in in alaska and it's not becoming available because the actions of larger corporations sort of just um casually right wiping wiping that out by just by just by passing by with these big trawlers, and worst of all, not even putting it on the market because yeah. <laughs> right, they can't. Right, yeah, the bycatch yeah. has to be thrown back overboard. Right. So, yeah. um, so that was one Mary Peltola. Mary Peltola. Um, the other one who was interesting is Congressman Graves in Louisiana, who has also been a kind of interesting fishing industry uh, congressman. Where he, in the, the last Congress, advocated for um, they pushed forward a, a, a bill as part of. The reauthorization of the Max and Stevens Act, which is kind of like the fisheries farm bill. Yeah. Um, and it was to create uh, complete transparency in uh, ownership of fishing permits and also leasing of fishing permits, which is its own secretive uh, side of the industry. And um, fortunately, that didn't go through, but um, that was one of the, the, the um, congressmen they met with. Those are the two main ones, I believe, that they met with. So we're speaking with Will Senant, uh, the New Bedford Light. Uh, I think we'll take a break now and we'll be right back. Uh, this is South Coast Tonight. I'm here with uh, Will Senat. He is a reporter in the New Bedford Light. He covers the ocean industries in New Bedford uh, to include the fishing industry, which is what we're talking about now. We spent the first 
part of these this this hour talking about um a coalition uh of fisher of of um uh, the fi- uh, coalition of members of the fishing industry here in Massachusetts and across the country lobbying Congress for some more equitable fishing regulations. Moving on from that, um, but sort of sticking to some news that you reported, uh, company, uh, local company, Blue Harvest, um, has recently made, uh, I think, a, a major uh, purchase or acquisition. And, um, and tell us more about that. Sure. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so this company, uh, Blue Harvest Fisheries, here in New Bedford, Robinson, can't miss it if you're under 18. Right. Right. Big yeah. Sign right on uh, Herman Melville, and uh, yes, yeah, so they just bought a new groundfish trawler. Um, you know, new state of the art is built uh, actually in Fairhaven, um, Fairhaven Shipyard, uh, 2017. I want to say 2018. That was very recently. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's the biggest groundfish company uh, on the East Coast. Just got a little bit bigger, and yeah. <laughs> that's the thrust of the story. But it comes at an interesting time because um, they also had a massive uh, scallop fleet. You know, fifteen boats out of the seventeen total that are allowed in the scallop industry. Okay. And recently finished selling all their scallop boats off. Yeah, you know, this is a time when um, you know scallop the total harvest is on the decline. Um, you know, it's cyclical, right? But it's a low point uh, in historic terms. Um, definitely the lowest in the last 10 years. Um, and the price is not, you know, rising with the drop in supply. So okay. it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's coming on. Scalloping's still so very not, lucrative. I was going to say, is it not profitable for them? I'm sure it's pretty, still pretty profitable, <laughs> but not the, you know, record numbers we've been seeing year after year. We haven't seen the results of this year yet, but, um, you know, it's a shaky ground right now. So Blue Harvest, um, you know, big company they're in the know in terms of regulation where the industry's headed of course selling off their scallopers doubling down on ground fish and um that's what we reported out i mean there was 15 boats so i don't necessarily expect you to know exactly who they sold them to but do you know anybody who do you know any of the purchasers yeah sure um there's uh you know interestingly so blue harvest is a big you know private equity backed company there's this idea that um you know, once it gets into private equity hands, never it always climbs up the, the ladder, right? It'll be a multinational corporation next and higher. Um, but actually, there's a few independent you know, fishermen who bought them. Um, okay. Not all. I mean, one, uh, a fleet that's backed by an Ohio uh, private equity firm, like real, most involved in real estate, but they're backing uh, a small fleet, um, which I have the name off the top. I can get it in the next um, break. But um, they bought a good bundle of them. Um, uh yeah, An but, Ohio uh, Quinn, company. Quinn Fisheries, Quinn Fisheries bought some. Yeah, local of company. Course, yeah. Uh, yeah, self-made operation, and they bought some. And yeah, a few you know independent uh, guys, maybe on one, two boats, um, expanding a little bit. Now, this was interesting to me because you know it was the first week of the show. Actually, you came on um, to talk about uh, a, a report that you had with um, uh, ProPublica, which is a major you know national. Um, publication, but you did a, a deep dive into uh, Blue Harvest mm. and the consolidation of the fishing industry more broadly. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So um, what we did, and we uh, pretty much traced the ownership of Blue Harvest Fisheries back um, through its private equity firm, Bergal um, Partners, New York City, you know, um, Park Ave offices, uh, through to their holding company, which we discovered was. Um, a, uh, a firm that's owned entirely by one of the wealthiest families in the Netherlands, the Brennick Meyer family. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, 
their family is mostly involved in retail. That's the clothing industry. Mm-hmm. That's not you know selling suits or selling ties. It's um you know sweatshops all across Bangladesh. Um, they're uh, involved in timber. I mean, they're they're a family that really does preside over this you know small domain of you know globally traded resources. Um, right. And you know we discovered that this company here in New Bedford is theirs. You know just in the portfolio of. Uh, you know, a small part of the portfolio of one of the wealthiest families in the world. And some of that has had an impact on the labor because you talked, you spoke with some members of the fishing industry about, you know, where they're at in terms of, of their pay and what they're allowed to get paid. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, I mean, we spoke to, um, you know, well, first of all, we'd heard anecdotally that, um, the, you know, the, they, the um, crews there um, aren't paid too well. Fishermen don't really want to work for them um, is what we heard just reporting it out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we got on board with some crew fishermen there who explained to us how the company, like others in the industry, right, it's not just them, but how the company is nickel and diming them into poverty. You know, uh, they are charging for uh, fuel, which is common in the industry. Also leasing, of, this is ground fishing, so you know, f- leasing fishing permits, um, which really bites into the income. Um, you know, and if you think about it, it's really kind of screwed up. I mean, uh they're they're leasing the rights to go catch fish. They're yeah, leasing right. their job, and the <laughs> yeah. company's not paying it. It's pushed onto them for an expense. The fishermen of the, the the workers of the industry, yeah, um, and other charges. You know these vague fees for electronics. Um, uh, they get charged you know five hundred dollars, four hundred dollars for uh, parking the company owned vessel at the company owned dock. Yeah, right. And you know they broke. They, um, and we look at it. So there's a private equity firm, right? And it's part of the private equity business model, which is squeeze all the value you can out of an industry. I mean, we yeah. saw it with uh, toys, with <laughs> shoes, yeah. with just about every industry here in the United States of America, um, which is private equities. You know, it's their model to um, make an industry uh, more profitable, which always comes as, um, you know, pushing down its highest expense, which is its workforce. Yes. And that plays out in real struggle for the fishermen here in new bedford absolutely so we're speaking with will Senat. he's a reporter uh at the uh, he's a reporter at the new bedford light um actually i'm going to go a little bit early on the break because i think what we can move on to is a really interesting story that you had talking about uh recent fishermen who's gotten some legal mm. troubles so i think that'll be an interesting story white collar criminal or blue collar <laughs> criminal you know? yeah right <laughs> all right let's take a break we'll be right back new bedford's news talk station 1420 wbsm our connections make powerful things happen uniting individuals and communities we are rotary We are people of action. With over 1 million members, we know what people can do when they come together. Around the world, generations of leaders build new friendships and solve problems, turning great ideas into reality. Take action with us. Find out more at rotary.org slash action. You've spent all day hearing about the news. Now's your chance to react to it. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Call Chris and Marcus now at 508-996-0500. Or send a text via app chat on the WBSM app. Now, back to South Coast Tonight. It's always that um, that sort of... Like you finish up an off-air conversation just before you go. <laughs> There's always this that racing the clock, but um, we're we're back. We're on air with Will Sana, the New Bedford Light. 
we've been talking about um, just a, a few stories that he's been covering on the on the waterfront uh, in the fishing industry in particular. He's written some really good stuff that you can find at newbeffordlight.org. Um, so, Will, uh, I wanted to move on to what I thought was an interesting story about a local fisherman who got himself into some trouble. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about uh, Mr. Cruz? I'd love to. Um, so this is a, uh, a fisherman here, um, you know, uh, blue-collar trade, right, fishing, worked on boats. We're guessing scallopers because he was making quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. And um, just got uh, pleaded guilty, rather, to um, evading uh, some $431,000 in taxes over the course of seven years. Um, wow. Yeah, surprised, you know, that's how much he was supposed to pay in taxes, not how much he was making. That's <laughs> yeah, right. A really substantial amount. I mean, this is, um, you know, they outlined it uh, in the, the the DOJ did, um, you know, in court documents too. But, um, you know, living this like really just cash lifestyle, right? I mean, he'd cash his checks after he got off the boat. He would, um, you know, buy a car. He'd buy, he'd pay his rent in cash. I'm surprised he wasn't paying for a house in cash. <laughs> right. Him, but, um yeah, I mean, just um, living this full cash lifestyle, completely off the books, and um, the DOJ pegged him on it. So um, he's been, he had been doing this for quite some time, uh, and you. What I thought was interesting about it is that you were able to speak to somebody on the record anonymously uh, mm-hmm. that basically the this is sort of par for the course. Um, yeah, the way he described it is it's a it's a roll of the dice. I mean, yeah, it's a, right. You know, the New Bedford fishing, the, the ports, a cash. I mean, largely cash based economy. I mean, um, a lot of it's on the books. I mean, a lot of it's on the books, right? But when it comes to um, you know uh, this in- industry, which is not really understood by the IRS often, um, yeah. I mean, I've talked to some fishermen who said, you know, better him than me. <laughs> lot, <laughs> right, right. So he made a lot of money. Right. What was his annual salary projected at? Uh, it was close to two hundred thousand dollars a yeah. year. Yeah, I think it even said like in some cases over two hundred two hundred and twelve thousand mm-hmm. um, per year. So was he was he caught here or where did he end up playing out? Do do we know? Was it around here? So I mean that was pretty interesting. He um so a warrant was put out for his arrest in uh gosh, twenty twenty one, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And uh August of last year, he was found in Brownsville, Texas, which is a big shrimp fishing port down uh, right on the border of Mexico. I mean, it's like the furthest southern tip of Texas you can get. I mean, have you have you seen it on a map before, Brownsville? I, I have not actually. Yeah, well, I, I can I know where Texas looks like. So yeah, that the very, very bottom. Yes, kind of, right, right yeah, there. Yeah, right there, Brownsville, and it's a it's a major shrimp fishing port. Okay. Um, so I mean, of course, there's no clear connection, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that's where um, he was found after about uh, eight months of them looking for him. Um, of course, he wasn't a most wanted fugitive of any sort, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, so it's just a matter if they came across him. Then, yeah. yeah. And he was arrested by uh, Brownsville, Texas police and shipped um, back up north and uh, pleaded guilty just uh, last week. It's interesting. So he sort of was... What's interesting about this is he was... Um, and we can say he was doing this because he he uh, we can say he was doing this because he, he put out. But mm-hmm. he was you know ducking these taxes, cashing his check, living this cash lifestyle, and there was a warrant out for his arrest for doing so. But he was able to continue <laughs> sort of living that life, mm-hmm. even though there was that federal warrant out for his arrest. Uh, I guess 
because he was living that sort of, uh, you know, laissez-faire sort of, I mean, it seems like almost like a storybook, like scofflaw type of, type of, uh, type of lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, uh, who knows if he was working down there. I mean, so he, he bled out, right? So there wasn't too much information that came out in the actual court documents. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that's part, I mean, you, you know this more than me, but it, it, actually there's a question probably I've always, when, when sure. someone pleads out and they have some sort of arrangement, do they not have to disclose fully? I mean, they don't have to stand like a full trial, right? So they don't um, have to. They don't. Have, so if someone pleads out in court, I mean, typically when I've you know had cases that plead out, which is like most of them, honestly, if they you know. But if you have a case that's pled out, that's usually that's usually that's usually public. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a there's a sheet. The judge will write it down on the sheet. That sheet's available usually on mass courts that you can mm-hmm. check out. But that's usually you know in my experience. Um, unless there's something else going on, unless there's you know something else going on with that, unless there's maybe some sort of deal that needs to be kept under wraps, that's mostly public record. Um, mm-hmm. Whether or not you know the conditions of their release, you know, like typically in New Bedford District Court, it's usually like drug free with screens or you know stuff like that. With him, I don't know, maybe maybe there's a GPS monitoring something like that, but mm-hmm. that would typically need to be public or it would be yeah. public. I was know? just surprised because I mean it, um, there's very limited information on the on the court's website about it. Um, you know, I found out about the he was arrested in Texas just from you know the brief amount that was in the court uh, documents. But um, yeah, didn't list the companies he worked for at the time. Um, you know, didn't list uh, you know uh, too much information about himself or um, you know we're reporters, right? We're curious. I was hoping hoping to learn more, <laughs> yeah. but there, there wasn't too much. Where, what, what courthouse did he plead out in? Sorry, what courthouse did he plead out? I was know? in Boston. I was uh, in Boston. Yeah, uh, 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 Rollins' office. Why am I blanking? District Attorney's office. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Rachel Rollins, U.S. Attorney. Yeah, U.S. Attorney. Okay, okay, that makes that makes sense. So uh, we're speaking with Will Sanat. He's a reporter at the New Bedford Light, um, and uh, this is interesting because you know I was thinking of when I was reading this, I was thinking of um, Breaking Bad and the scene where Saul's talking mm-hmm. to Jesse about how he needs to launder his money, and he says, "If they can get Capone, they can get you." <laughs> <laughs> and what I thought about actually was. Um, and you mentioned it in your in your piece is uh, is Carlos Raphael. He was sort of on not quite as similar, but on fairly similar grounds. That's how they got him, right? Yeah, I mean it's um <clears throat> you know not just uh, like fishermen. I mean a lot of the kind of moguls of the fishing industry have done their bid, you know, usually for tax evasion. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Carlos was kind of the one um, you know everyone thinks of. Carlos Raphael, uh, he was uh, you know found guilty, of course, for. Um, fraudulently labeling some 800,000 pounds of fish mm-hmm. um, but also tax evasion that was one of the charges <laughs> that they yeah. got him on and um, yeah I mean it's a you know if you're doing shady things with your fish usually you're not going to be paying your full share of taxes and much like Al Capone that's usually how they can get you at the, right. <laughs> at the end of the day this says your cruise is scheduled for sentencing on May 9th so mm-hmm. um, so we'll, we'll There'll probably be more details on what exactly the uh, that is, um, but you know, as you put here, the federal tax evasion charges could be up to five years in prison uh, and a fine of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So, you hadn't heard from uh, any of his any counsel on this, right? No. Uh, so, uh, Representative uh, Chris Markey originally represented him in court, but um, uh, mm-hmm. did not. At the end of the day, I was just early on in the first documents um, called okay. him and didn't comment on it, but. Um, he was represented by a public defender. Um, okay. You know, it, it was kind of interesting. I mean, he was, um, 
you know, uh, treated sort of, uh, you know, at first kind of much like a white collar criminal. I mean, this, uh, you know, working fisherman here in New Bedford, because there's such a high you know, uh, amount of dollars he evaded with uh, yeah, right. his taxes, you know, it's a um, white collar case. But, um, yeah, I, I, he ended up taking a public defender and, um, yeah, he's supposed to, uh, when, when is it, April? Uh, May 9th. May 9th. May 9th. Right. Uh, so we're going to take uh, one more break for the hour and then finish out strong. This is South Coast tonight. Back. So, Will, uh, you know, we were talking a lot about the fishing industry, which you cover, but you also cover the offshore wind industry. There's been some controversy over um, some recently departed whales. Uh, what's going on with that over in New Jersey? We're talking about the departed here? <laughs> the departed. <laughs> <laughs> the recently departed. Um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, kind of, you know, offshore wind news moves at a snail's pace, but this is um, really stacked up recently. Uh, we were just counting it before the break, right? I mean, 10 dead whales have washed ashore off the coast of New York and New Jersey mm-hmm. in this last, um, you know, since since the new year, really. It's um, a lot. It's, it's a lot, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uh, – and most of these are taking place within the last uh, two weeks, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a substantial amount of whale deaths, and no one really knows uh, who's responsible, but a lot of people are pointing fingers <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, and that is – uh, you know, environmental groups, conservationists, uh, offshore wind industry, pointing fingers at fishermen, as always, or just, you know, climate change at large. Um, and fishermen or, you know, uh, save the whales groups that are not, you know, co-opted by offshore wind companies are pointing fingers at offshore wind companies. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I mean, yeah, no, there's <clears throat> autopsies going on right now. Um, they're trying to determine uh, who's responsible, if anyone's responsible. But it's 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 a... It's a number you can't ignore. You know, ten dead whales. I mean, yeah. it's shocking. As far as dead whales go, that's that's a high number. I don't know what the accepted number. You said this last time that there's like anything that we do in the water kills whales. It's just a matter of like what's the limit of dead whales that can we take? Right. It's about uh, <laughs> which industry is allowed to kill whales is, is what it comes down to. And the, what's the most tolerable amount of whales? Right. Dead, dead whales that. That, that that we can allow yeah and uh this number right now i mean it's if, if ten, it keeps ten up in this pace number. i mean in this short amount of time absolutely not i mean over time 10 would be good but 10 in like a month yeah we gotta yeah. You, you gotta spread that out you gotta rein in those whale deaths time. a bit yeah you gotta you gotta spread out your whale deaths you're you're blowing your whale death capital <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're blowing it way too early you know you're <laughs> not gonna have any whale deaths for the winter if you blow it all in the in, in the spring you know it's um yeah but it, no it really is i mean it comes into this uh this kind of PR battle we're seeing right now between mm-hmm. the offshore wind companies and the fishing industry or other commercial, you know, like uh, shipping and all, all these ocean industries that are scrambling to both not be responsible um, and also, you know, have some of those, um, uh, you know, likelihoods or, you know, whale take permits where they, if they incidentally kill a whale, as 10 have, you know, so done Is recently. This, we've heard this um, from a lot of our elected officials, but. Is this what they meant by we're going to bring back whaling? <laughs> Gosh, you hope not, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that would be bad. You know, you, you're at like Fort Phoenix or like West Island Beach and you're just sort of enjoying your day or, or over in Rodney French. I'm, t- I'm talking about where I live, where I'd go to the beach, right? Talk about over on Rodney French Boulevard and you just a whale cadaver. It, it's not pleasant. Right. And I'm curious who has rights to the, um, the blubber. I mean that's a. There's, <laughs> yeah. you know, if, we're really if it's already dead, it, it's, right? You might as well. 
Well, hate you know, to see it go to waste. I'm just saying it built the city, right? Well, it did. Blubber, yeah. Um, let the world. Right. Yeah. Let and, the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Will, where can people go to learn more about your work, read your read your articles? Uh, so I'm a reporter for the uh, New Bedford Light. Um, you can find all my stories at newbedfordlight.org um, and you know, L-I-G-H-T.org uh, or on Twitter at Will Sennett. Um, plenty of stories about whales, about fish, about dead whales, about dead fish, um, fishermen evading taxes, uh, fishermen down in D.C. It would be... It would be great for your career if actually those a lot of dead whales just started sh- showing up over here in in uh, New Bedford. I, 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 <laughs> You'd have so much stories to write. I, um, luckily, I know that's not the way that I think about my career. It's not the, there would be so much attention. The not, you know, uh, you know. There's plenty of other ways to advance your career than, uh, without than whales washing up on Fort Phoenix. Blubber <laughs> you know, aside, all the value there. I. I uh, <laughs> I prefer covering the fishing industry. All right, Will Senat, thanks so much for coming on. We're looking forward to having you back on soon. Yeah, thank you, Marcus. Absolutely. Absolutely.